0: 14 verses 1 through 8. And um, we'll be reading John 14. um, But as as I I know I have this bad habit of doing, we're going to be reading more than just what I said we would be reading in the bulletin. Um, And so we'll actually start reading it, John 13, 31, but really we will focus our attention on Jesus' words in John fourteen, his great statement that he is the way, the truth, and the life that we come to the Father only through him. And so to gain more of a context for Jesus' teaching about himself, we'll start in 1331. And so um, find that spot in your Bibles. I would encourage you to pick up those Bibles to to follow along. Um, So you might wonder what is happening in the situation here, what is happening in uh, the life of Jesus and in his disciples' um, lives as well. Jesus and the disciples have just celebrated the Last Supper, and so this is the week of the Lord's Passion, where he is going to the cross, he's going to die there for, um, for us, that we might have salvation, we'll, where he'll be raised up um, on the third day, and so this is the big week um, leading up to that great event that changed the world. And so Jesus and his disciples are preparing for it, they've just... Uh, shared a meal together. Jesus has washed their feet at that meal. Judas has just left from the fellowship of the disciples. Jesus knows that he has betrayed him, that Judas has betrayed him. But the other disciples are confused about what is happening. And so Jesus starts talking about how he is about to depart from them. And this is concerning to the disciples. As I said last week, these I am statements from Jesus come to people in the context of um, often a a struggle where people are confused or um, unsure where something is happening around them, uh, where there is a need that Jesus enters into those situations to talk about who he is and what he provides for us, his people. And so today's struggle is the confusion of the disciples about the future. And we'll hear about some of that confusion in uh, chapter 13. That's why I really want to start there before we get to the, um, the more memorable or, or more uh, quoted passages of John 14. So they're wondering, where is Jesus going? What will happen when he leaves? How will they go on when Jesus is gone? And so we'll read at verse uh, John thirteen thirty one. Before we do, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, speak to us, your children. Lord, we pray that we would hear your voice and like, like sheep know the voice of their shepherd, that we would recognize your voice in your word this morning. God, we pray that, that we would delight in hearing the scriptures again. God, we pray that you will help us to understand more of who Jesus is, to understand it accurately, to truly know you and Jesus whom you have sent. And in knowing you and believing in you, God, we pray that we would have life. We pray that you would accomplish all this through the outpouring of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. John thirteen thirty one. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to, said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So in all this confusion about where Jesus is going, uh, he continues in chapter 14, starting at verse 1. I encourage you to listen to these words for yourself this morning. Listen to these words for yourself. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. What does your housing situation say about... What is happening in your life right now? Whether you have lived in the same house for your whole life, or if you move houses every few years, our identities can become connected to the place where we live or the place where we're going to live. It's common in our culture to describe the stage of a person's life by talking about their housing situation. There are lots of examples of this, actually. i sat down and thought about it for only about 10 minutes, and the examples of how housing situations come up in conversations that describe the circumstances of our life are are numerous in our culture. The most obvious example, of course, is referring to a person as homeless. That when we are, are driving along the highway and we see the tents along the side of the road, it's easy to think of those people only according to their housing situation. And so we would see that it's a person without a house to live in. And so instead of thinking of them as sons and daughters and siblings and neighbors, we would just look at them and see homeless people. For other people, there could be a dislike of their home and they want to move for some reason. And so so much of their time is spent thinking about their a lack of contentment with their housing situation and how they just long to be somewhere else, even in a different space or a different house or apartment. This is the case I have often heard for teenagers that are so longing to leave the house and venture out on their own. I've heard stories of teenagers arguing with their parents about curfews and house rules where dad ends the conversation by saying sort of the the ultimate trump card that dads have, as long as you're under my roof, you live by my rules, right? And so that housing situation describes what is happening in a house, not just in the the space where they live or the address that they live at, but, but what is happening relationally in a house. A third example comes at the end of life, where we think of aging people, and the question is often, is it time for them to move into a care facility? So again, it's so much more than just changing addresses from the place where someone used to live in their own house and over towards Bethany Home or Beth Haven. It's so much more than that emotionally, isn't it, for people, than just the change of an address there's the question of, of, is this person able to, to take care of themselves really anymore? or do, Are they going to need more help? Do they have to move into an assisted living facility? Will somebody maybe have to move into a memory care unit soon? Again, there's so much more happening there than just a change of address. It's about the circumstances of a person's life. So in each case, living quarters tell us something about what these people are experiencing. Moving homes is an emotional experience. It's an emotional experience if you are excited about it. It's something that fills you with anticipation. I think of a young person going off to college, excited to meet their roommate or see what their dorm will be like, and there's this anticipation and hopefulness about moving to, uh, to college or to a new city And on the other hand, there could be the emotions of stress and anxiety. If you love where you lived before and circumstances have changed, maybe a divorce has happened or your financial situation has changed and and you have to move. You have to go into a different living space. There's so much more to it than a change of an address. In John 14, Jesus tells the disciples where they are going to live. And he tells them also how to get there. And both of those promises teach us about God. They teach us about Jesus. They teach us also about ourselves. In the same way that a person thinks about a change of address and there's more to it than just filling boxes and getting a a rental truck. So much more to it than that. And spiritually also as we think about our future, there's so much happening as we think about where we will live one day, especially if we're thinking about death and the life to come. I hope that as we study the words of Jesus today that you would believe in God and that you would trust God and that you would believe that living with God will be far greater than any home that you could live in in this world. So that's the, the purpose of the message today. That's the purpose of Jesus' teaching for the disciples, that we would believe God, that we would trust God, and that we would look forward to living in the Father's house. So, in whose house will the Christian live? I just gave it away. We find in John 14, 1 through 3, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it were not so, would I have told you that I go there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is saying here, as you think about the future, do not be afraid, do not be worried, do not be troubled, he says. Because when you believe in him, he will take you to live in the Father's house. So Jesus is teaching here about the destination of the soul for any person who believes in him. It might surprise us that Jesus here does not use the word heaven, but refers to heaven as the Father's house. Great word picture. Jesus is teaching certainly about heaven because he said that he's going ahead of the disciples to prepare a place for them. He's just been talking about how he's going to die, how he's going to depart from them. And of course, that will include his death, his resurrection, and after his resurrection, his ascension to be with the Father in heaven. And he goes ahead of us to prepare a place for us. There And so he describes heaven as the Father's house with many rooms. So now that Jesus has died and been raised to life and ascended to heaven, we believe that he is keeping his promise to go ahead of us into the Father's presence. But why would he say that he is going to prepare a place for us? For some people who might be a little bit confused about this passage, they would think that that Jesus has continuing work to do uh, to get that place ready for us, almost as if heaven isn't quite right yet and he's got to go get it ready for us. That's not what he's teaching here. John Calvin gives a very helpful and short answer for what it means that Jesus is preparing a place for us. I couldn't say it any better myself, so I'll just read Calvin's quote from his commentary written 500 years ago. Christ did not ascend to heaven in a private capacity, to dwell there alone, but rather that it might be the common inheritance of all the godly and that is the way that the head might be united to his members. And so when he's talking about preparing a place for us, um, we're meant to think that he's not just going away from us to be alone in that place, but he's going there to prepare a place that all Christians upon their death would enter immediately. To prepare a place for the saints. Heaven is where the saints who have been redeemed through Christ will live with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect communion. Through Jesus, we are adopted into God's family. Through Jesus, we enter into the household of God. When people think of heaven, they likely think more about the things that they'll want to do there than the relationships that we'll have there. That's one of the great errors, I think, in even American evangelicalism, is that when somebody would maybe ask you at work or, you know, having a conversation, maybe it could be a, a fun conversation to have, what will heaven be like, that question is posed and and the mind could immediately jump to, well, I love to golf and so I hope there's golf there. Or, well, I, I hope uh, my dog is there. Or... Uh, other kinds of things that you hope you will see there or have there. There could be so much attention in our materialistic culture on the things that we'll finally get in heaven. But here we find that the Christian should think first of who will be in heaven. That's so much of the Bible's teaching. In fact, the Bible, the scriptures have, have very little to say about the things we'll get in heaven, in terms of like physical things. There's a vision where the saints are holding palm branches, and there's, of course, vivid descriptions of uh, the saints and the architecture that uh, John sees in the book of Revelation. There's beautiful symbolic language about what heaven is like, but the far greater focus in the Bible, in the Bible's descriptions on heaven, is on who. Is in heaven, not so much on what we see there in terms of objects, but in terms of who we have relationship with there. It's the Father's house. Our minds might turn immediately to what does that house look like? That's a materialistic distraction. We should think first about it's the Father who will be there. It's Jesus who will see there. Because he said he's gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us so that we may also be where he is. That's what should excite us in thinking about the life to come. Certainly not the things we will get, but the people, particularly the Lord, who we will see, who we will live with, who will continue to to love us, who we, we worship in return those who have been redeemed by Jesus will live in heaven with God and with each other. All those who are in Christ will live in the Father's house together. Jesus was so clear in his teaching there that there there isn't a a strata or a a hierarchy of who was the best while you were living in the world. (laughs) But in the Father's house, are many rooms. It is one house with many rooms in which we all live together. There aren't different levels of salvation for people in Christianity, certainly as there are in some false religions in this world. And so, people would maybe still wonder, well, what will heaven be like? What will it be like to be in the Father's house, to be living in, in perfect communion with God and with other people Some of you have lived in a home that was not that way, that was full of tension and judgment, and perhaps even you've lived in a house where there was abuse or discouragement. And so we would wonder, well, what will that house be like to live with those people in such close proximity? Living with so many other people could be kind of daunting if your experience of living in a house has been generally negative throughout your life. What will the believer experience, though, in God's house? The great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, calls heaven a world of love. That's the name of his great sermon, one of the greatest sermons ever written in 1738. Heaven is a world of love, a world where we experience God's perfect love for us, where we show love and give worship to God, and where we live in perfect love with brothers and sisters in Christ having been redeemed by the same Lord. So here's one small part of his description of life in the Father's house. And if this stirs your soul, I cannot commend to you strongly enough reading this great sermon, Heaven is a World of Love. Edwards describes, Every saint in heaven is as a flower in that garden of God. And holy love is the fragrance and sweet odor that they shall all send forth, and with which they fill the bowers of that paradise above. Every soul there is as a note in some concert of delightful music that sweetly harmonizes with every other note and all together blend in the most rapturous strains in praising God and the Lamb forever. Heaven, a world of love, the Father's house, a place of love. The life is prepared for you. That place is prepared for you by Jesus. So like Thomas, we could ask, how do we get there? That sounds good, doesn't it? How do we get there? Jesus said in verse 3, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may also be. So Jesus will bring us there. Furthermore, he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father's house except through him. No one goes to heaven. No one experiences salvation except through Jesus. Jesus is saying here, it's very clear in the way that the Greek is written, that he is not a way, he is the way. That he is not a option for truth he is the truth that he is not an option for how to live our lives he is the life very clear in the the definite articles if we want to think about our English grammar there is full of definite articles the way the truth and the life the way to the father's house is different than the way that we travel to each other's houses if you were to invite me over to your house. I could walk there or bike there or take a car and it wouldn 't really matter to you the method of transportation that I would use to get to your house. If you were to invite me to your house um, it doesn 't really matter to you the route that I took to get there as long as I show up eventually, especially thinking of of how I often drive through Ripon. We have a grid of streets here and there are all kinds of different ways to get across the freeway or to, to get across town, um, even just if you're going a few blocks. And sometimes, unfortunately, that's how people think of arriving at a spiritual destination as well, that, that in the same way that I would go to your house and it doesn't matter the method of transportation or the route that I take, some people would say the same thing of heaven, unfortunately. Unfortunately, But Jesus is emphatic that when it comes to getting to the Father's house, when it comes to getting to heaven, there is one way, there is one method that is through Christ. There is one um, way or avenue that is, again, through Christ bringing us there. So Jesus says, After, he says, he is the way, he drives the point home even further, saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's the only way to get there. So why can't you get there on your own? Why can't we um, decide for ourselves how we would try to seek enlightenment or seek some kind of spiritual blessing, especially the blessing of eternal life? In the Reformed Church, we have a very expansive view of the effect of our sin. A very uh, serious and sobering view of of not just the individual sins that we commit, but but every person is born into sin and commits sin in such a pervasive way that we are absolutely separated from God in our natural state. People aren't just occasional sinners, but our sinful nature is, In our sinful nature, we rebel against God. We doubt God. We disregard God. We resist God. We even despise God and his kingdom. Using the analogy of of travel again, it's not as though Jesus is the straight path and we just steer off the shoulder, into the shoulder every once in a while and we can kind of correct ourselves in our own power and with our own wisdom to get back on the track. Uh, The Reformed view is that that Jesus is the straight and narrow path and is the way to heaven and all of us are born with a sinful nature whereby we take the wrong way and move the opposite direction of, uh, of going to heaven towards the Lord. So the first belief every Christian needs to have is that we are distant from God and there is no way of turning things around in our own power. That's the first belief of every Christian, that we have a distance from God that we cannot fix, that we cannot span. And so the bad news is you cannot do it against all of what today's philosophers and popular influencers say. You cannot do it. You cannot fix yourself, your soul, so that you would arrive in a place of moral perfection or even in heaven someday. You cannot do it, but the good news is you don't have to. That Christ has done it. That he is the way. And when Jesus says that he is the way, he wasn't teaching that he's an example that we follow so that we can navigate our way to heaven. He's saying he is the one who, who takes us there. He's the one who carries us to God. Thomas Akempis, a German-Dutch theologian who lived before the Reformation, wrote this amazing book about the path to heaven, following Christ. His book is called The Imitation of Christ, one of the most popular devotional books ever written, for good reason. It's great teaching. He wrote this in The Imitation of Christ, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou should pursue, the truth which thou should believe, the life which thou should hope for. Again, this in The Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis. So maybe you don't like where you live right now. Maybe you are struggling in some way with not just the physical place you live, but, but you don't like where you live right now in terms of how you feel about yourself. Or in your relationships, there could be some struggle or some difficulty. Maybe you're, you're coming to church today looking for some word of hope, hoping to, to move somewhere better. What does your future home determine about who you are today? Jesus says, because He is the way, because He has promised to come and take us to be in the Father's house, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled, but believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. He says, There is room for you in the Father's house. There is room for you. In the Father's house, no matter how weak you are, no matter how sinful you are, Jesus can bring you there. That's why it's good news that he is the way and the truth and the life, because only he is powerful and loving enough to bring us to that place. So in the week ahead, brothers and sisters, think often about where you are moving to think often about this spiritual home being prepared in advance for the one who trusts in Jesus. Amen.